Okay, so part eight today, I want to talk to you about this perfection. Perfection. Um, do you know anybody who is a perfectionist? You know, the way to find out if someone's a perfectionist is they always tell you, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm, I know I'm not perfect, but okay, those people are always trying to be perfect. They can't stand to make a mistake. They don't want anybody to know they've made a mistake. And so they strive for perfection. And the problem with that is you end up being anxious and stressed out. And it's a sin to be anxious and stressed out. But we're supposed to be, here's what we have to wrestle with today, okay? God's standard for heaven is not to be good. God's standard for heaven is to be perfect. God requires that every single person that goes to heaven is a perfect person. They must be perfect. God can never accommodate sin. That's how perfect he is. He is so perfect that imperfection cannot be in his presence. He is so perfect, he requires, if, if heaven is a perfect place, then, then how can he require anything less than perfection to be there? But it's a sin for us to be stressed out, anxious, trying to be perfect. So what do we do? In fact, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said this, you shall be perfect just as God is perfect. Not only does he say you got to be perfect, he says you have to be as perfect as God. And the definition of perfect is this, being entirely without fault or defect. See, a lot of people think the way to get to heaven is to do more good than bad. Or they think, as long as I do more good than everybody around me, the people at work, people on Facebook, as long as I'm gooder than them, I'll get into heaven. But God's standard has never been to be good. His standard is to be perfect, entirely without fault or defect. In every word, in everything you say, in every thought that you have, he cannot accommodate a mistake. He cannot accommodate a sin. James 2.10 says the person who keeps every single law but makes one little slip is just as guilty as the person who has broken every single law that there is. Notice, you can spend your whole life that the law is referring to as the Ten Commandments and then the 613 Commandments. You can do everything right your whole life, but for one second in one part of your life have a selfish thought and you are imperfect. And the person that broke every single law is just as guilty as the person that broke one little teeny law because they're both imperfect. They're both imperfect. They're not like God. And God is, in fact, one of the attributes of God is called immutable. He's a, uh, the immutability of God means he can never change. Because if he could change, he could get better. And he can't get better because he's best. God will, and, and he can never change, which means this, he'll always require perfection. God, uh, you know, the, the immutable, you hear the word mutate in there, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, turtles that became, you know, ninjas, they mutated. God can never mutate. He can, God has never said, God has never said, you know what I just thought of? He's never said that because he's already thought of everything. He's perfect. He's, 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 um, he's flawless. God is complete. Nothing needs to be added to him. He's, he's completely complete. He is finished. He, 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 he's done everything. He knows everything. He sees everything, and this is what he requires. Psalms 18.30 says this, As for God, his way is perfect. It's without fault. It's without defect. Psalms 19.7, The law of the Lord, everything he writes, everything he says is perfect. 1 John 1.5, God is light in him. There's not even any doubt darkness. There's not a single shadow in God. He is 100% light. So how in the world could he allow anything that is imperfect to even be near him? Romans 3.23, however, says this, all of us have sinned 
That's the past tense. Here's the present tense. And we still fall short of the glory of God. Now, this word fall short, it's two English words, but it's one word in Greek. Most Greek words have a sporting or a military context behind them. In other words, when the Bible says, um, guard your minds in Christ Jesus, that word guard is a military word, like how a queen has guards. Don't let anything <clears throat> improper in your mind. Guard it. When the Bible says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, that word rule is from a sporting context, like an umpire rules if it's safe or not. So you let the peace of God decide if this step you're about to take, if it brings you peace, then it's safe. Do it. If there's no peace, it's out. The umpire says, you, you rule against it. Don't do it. Okay, you with me? So fall short comes from a sporting context in Greek. I'm not going to tell you the Greek word because you'll never remember it anyway. But it meet, a lot of pastors preach that it means to miss the mark. That is, a, that, is a, that is a good definition. It's not the best definition. It doesn't mean to miss the mark. Fall short means to miss the bullseye that is on the mark of the target. Um, we, have a, we have a dartboard. We had one in our house. We have, our dining room has a pool table, and we have a dartboard on the wall. I thought the kids would love it. And then one day I walked by, and I noticed about 150 teeny holes all over the wall around the dartboard. My kids missed the mark, right? I hit the mark, but I don't hit the bullseye. And what God requires is that you hit the bullseye Every single day, every single time, with every single thought, with every single word, and with every single action. But yet the scripture says that God knows every single one of us miss the bullseye day after day after day. Leviticus twenty-two twenty-one: whoever offers a sacrifice to the Lord, it must be perfect just to be accepted. And so people that are perfectionists, they try harder because they, they want love from God. So they try harder when they fail. And they promise God, I'll never do it again. And they do it again because they want to be accepted. And on and on, it's like a hamster on a wheel. So if God requires perfection and we're not perfect, what are we going to do about it? I have three points for you today. And I'm going to teach it to you in a very, like I said, it's going to be like a Bible college class. I like to kind of be very unique sometimes with the teachings. I think it, <clears throat> it means more to you whenever you get it on the inside. So uh, I'm going to show you three ways that God has been trying to reach you for thousands of years, okay? Even though we're imperfect. Number one is this. He created a primary house, and that was Adam. For your notes, God's first house on earth, the first place he was going to dwell, that the way he was going to reach you and me and be able to spend time with us and talk to us and be with us is he created Adam. Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life, and man became a living soul. There were three rooms in God's primary house, and I put them in the scripture so you can see. The first room was the body that was formed from the ground. Second room was the spirit, that's who we actually are, that came from God. And the third room was the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. The way you're going to know each other in heaven is by the soul, because you get a new body. Okay, we are not a body, we just live in this body. You are actually a spirit, and your spirit is going to live forever, either in heaven or hell. And you're going to get a new, you're going to get a different body, <coughs> excuse me, a new body in heaven or a body in hell that you can feel pain, but it never destroys. And so you, your body, it's just an earth suit, right? You are a spirit. So God created his first primary house with three rooms, body, soul, and spirit. God designed it. He designed it perfectly. The design made this. His soul, his mind, and emotions were happy. His body was healthy, and his spirit was holy. <clears throat> As a side note, um, whenever you fall in love or you meet somebody, make sure you fall in love with their soul. 
and not their body. Because listen, uh, bodies change, right? Um, the, the, the longer you live, the more gravity takes over, right? And you just and things just start to. You, it's just, and the more you eat at McDonald's, um, you have to change your pants size. You have to buy new pants and wait. So listen, don't fall in love with the body. Here's the great thing about the soul: if you're a believer, your soul's actually always getting better and better. And healthier and healthier. So if you fall in love, fall in love with who the person actually is and not on the outside. Anyway, and so it was designed by God, but guess what? Just like we've done with everything, it became desecrated. Uh, Genesis 3, 6, she took the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband and sin came into the world. Here's the thing. God cannot live in a dirty house. Adam dirtied up his house. God cannot be around dirt. God cannot be around sin. He cannot accommodate it even for a second. So after it was desecrated, it then became desolated. In Genesis 3.22, the Lord said, Now man's going to know good from evil. He might take from the tree of life as well and live in this fallen condition forever. So God drove the man out. Adam, I love you, but I can't be around you. Sin has separated us. We can't be, we can't be in relationship anymore. You are officially dirty. You made one little slip. And now I cannot live in this house anymore. So God stationed cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the tree of life. A lot of people read this and they think, man, God was mad. That's the wrath of God. That's actually the grace of God. Let me show you why. If they had eaten from the tree of life in that fallen condition, they would forever be separated from God for all of eternity. But God was working on a way to redeem man back to himself. Now, the good news is several years later, God actually moved that tree of life to heaven. And Revelation 22, 2, it says on the side of the river is the tree of life in heaven. It yields fruit every month. And you can eat from this tree anytime you want to in a redeemed state and live forever in eternity in a redeemed state with God. So after it was desolated, what happens? It then gets destroyed. Genesis 2.16, he said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you'll die. Some people read that and they think, well, he didn't die on that day. He lived to be, you know, 830 or 930 years old. He did die on that day because he's a spirit. Death, listen, death is this, being separated from God. See, there are some people in this church, you're still dead. If you're separated from God, you're, the Bible says when you get saved, his spirit comes inside of you and quickens your mortal bodies. But when you're apart from God, you're dead. So with God is life. And the day Adam disobeyed, sin entered into the world, he became dirty. And God cannot live in a dirty house. He will never live in a dirty house. So God tried again with point number two, a patterned house. This was the temple or the tabernacle, whichever one you want to call it. Exodus 25, 8, God said, build me a sanctuary so I can dwell. I'm just trying to be with you. I'm just trying to, now, this doesn't, they couldn't see God all of the time. He was doing his best. He thought, you know what? If they're going to dirty themselves up, I'm going to build a room. I'm going to build a, a building. And if, I, if they'll build it exactly like I tell them to build it, then I can come there and dwell. And every now and then somebody can come in and talk to me, find out what to do, how to succeed. I'll send them back out. And it won't be like a really great relationship. But every now and then I'll get to talk to people. At least I'm sure they are, I'm sure that they will not destroy the house that I build. It says constructed exactly after the pattern. That's where it's called a patterned house, which was shown to you on the mountain. Exactly. Now, it was designed perfectly. It had three rooms, just like Adam. It had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. The outer court represents the body, the inner court, the soul. The holy of holies is where God dwelt. That was the spirit of God was in that place. Now, I want to show you a picture if you look up on the screen, kind of a rough drawing of it. You see the outer courts. Again, that's the body. Everybody can see the body. 
If someone just likes you or just wants you for the body, man, anybody can see that. But then when you get closer to them and you realize they have a soul, a mind, will, and emotions, that's the inner court. There was fellowship that took place in the inner court. However, anytime God sent a specific person into the Holy of Holies, they had to do a whole bunch of sacrificial things. They had to pay for their sin. It didn't take it away. It only covered it up. But at least they could step in and talk to God for a little bit. It'd be similar to you if you had a blood stain on a piece of clothing and you're about to go to a business meeting, so you put a jacket on and cover it up. It doesn't get rid of the blood stain. It just hides it. And so that, that, that covering of the sin, God could at least talk to them for a little bit, but it wasn't a deep relationship, but God was doing whatever he possibly could to try to get to me and you. You know, in the beginning of time, all God ever wanted was a family. And at the end of time, if you read Revelation, that's all he ever gets is a family. He already has gold and silver and, you know, beautiful stones. And he always, already has the galaxies, the universe, the mountains, the oceans, all that. That's not what he wants. He wants a family. And he's going to do whatever he can to try to get a family. Hebrews 10.1 says, For the law can never by offering the same sacrifices year after year. In other words, every time they sin, God to sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. It can never make us perfect. In other words, we can never see God face to face. We can never actually hear from him anytime we want to. It never makes us perfect. And God requires perfection to those who approach him. Um, the law, the, the, the Ten Commandments, and then the 613, it was given to a, a immoral society so they could have morals and succeed. And, you know, one of the reasons that America is not doing great is because we lost our morals. And if you study world history, that's the thing that always destroys a culture is morals. From The, the Roman, I don't have time to get into it, but the Romans, they, the greatest, the greatest um, um, army in the world that no one could ever beat, they corrupted from the inside out because of moral, immorality. But anyway, so God gives us morals, the Ten Commandments, to, to, to get us success in a society. He also gave us the commandments so we would fail. He intentionally wanted us to fail, if you read the Bible, so we could realize we can never be perfect. But it took a few thousand years for people to realize, because they said, yes, we'll be perfect, God. If it means to be with you, we'll do everything just right. You know, even the way God, um, the verbiage God used for the commandments makes us more sin conscious than grace conscious. Eight out of ten commandments say, do not. Do not kill, do not steal, do not lie. Do you know what human nature wants to do when somebody says, hey, don't do this? You know what we all want to do? We all want to do it. It's, it's, it's grained inside of us. My wife worked at a um, coffee shop a few years ago, and there was a, a fake button on the side of the wall next to this specific table, and the sign says, please do not press this button. And it didn't do anything. It was just there. Do you know how many people, when they thought no one was looking, would press that button? Everybody that sat at that table, even the Christians, and it's a Christian coffee house, and everybody pressed the button. Um, it was like this uh, This pastor was doing an experiment on grace versus law. And uh, so his, his little boy was having a birthday party at their house. And so when all the kids got there, the pastor got all the kids said, Listen, kids, we're going to have such a good time today. I want you all to swim in the pool and jump on the trampoline. And we're going to have bounce season. It's going to be great. He said, But I have one rule today. Do you see my flower garden right here by the, by the house? No matter what you do, do not spit in my flower garden right here. But I want you to listen, have a lot of fun. Eat ice cream, eat cake. There's going to be horse rides, you know, a balloon. But don't spit in my garden. Don't spit in my garden. They said, okay, okay. So then the dad, he goes inside the house and he stands by the window, you know, hiding behind the drapes right there where the garden is. He said within 30 minutes, every single child spat in his garden and his own two kids who were part of it spat twice. 
Why? Because they were told, do not do it. I was also reading this. Uh, do you know the first number one hit by a black female artist was a female artist, black female artist, was the song, um, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? You know the song, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? It was the first number one hit of a black female. Do you know why it became a number one hit? Because when it first came out, white people all through America told everybody, don't listen to that song, don't buy that record. You know what everybody went and did? They listened to the song and they bought the record. It became a number one hit. They tried to stop it. It did not stop. So what happens after, we, after it's designed perfectly? We desecrated it. Matthew 21, 12 says this. Jesus went into the temple. Remember the story where he overturns the tables? He said, my temple is supposed to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. You've destroyed it. And God cannot live in a dirty house. He cannot accommodate dirtiness, sin. He can't let it anywhere near him. So after we desecrated it, it became desolated. In Matthew 23, 38, he said this. Your temple is going to be abandoned and empty. In other words, God's leaving this place. God was trying to talk to you, get to you, have a relationship. You can't even keep a room clean. I thought it was one thing that you, could, you, you couldn't prevent from sinning in your own body. You can't even keep a room in a building clean for me. Do I not mean that enough to you? That you won't even keep a room clean. So after it was desolated, what happens when God leaves something? It's destroyed. Matthew 24, 2, Jesus said, not a single stone here will be left in its place. You know, I love reading the Bible where Jesus says something's going to happen and then studying world history where it happens. In 70 AD, the last stone was removed. In seven, just like Jesus said, so listen, it was destroyed. So God thinks, you know what? I'm going to try again. And point number three, he tried this, a perfect house. He thought, surely the people will love me enough not to destroy this house. The perfect house's name was Jesus. 1 Peter 2.22, Jesus committed no sin. Not one single thing did he do wrong. Not one. Now, if you wanted to talk to God, here's how you do it. You just fly to Jerusalem, and you find out where Jesus is going to be, and you get to talk to God. Pretty exciting, right? If you want him to touch you or heal you or minister to you or prophesy over you, if, he's, if Jesus is speaking in Florida uh, next week, you just drive down to Florida, and, and you'll be able to hear from God. It's not really that convenient, but at least God will be here. So if we need him, we can go find him and talk to him and see what he has to say as long as we find out wherever Jesus is at. It, it, was, a, it was a good thing, just not the best thing, but God's trying his best. Jesus, In fact, you know, Jesus was so perfect, even the world examined him. You know, the leader of the world said this in John 18, uh, 38. Pilate went back outside and told the Jews, I find no fault. He's perfect. John 19.4, Pilate went out again and said, see, I find no fault. John 19.6, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no fault in him. He's perfect. Why are you wanting to hurt this man? He is perfect. He has no fault or defect in him. And God designed Jesus perfectly. He designed him perfectly. Matthew 1.21 says this, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, she gave birth to a son. He was perfectly healthy, perfectly happy, and perfectly holy. And then what did we do? We desecrated him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus became dirty because of you and me. He knew no sin, but he became sin for me. And after he was desecrated, then what happened? God said, I can't live in a dirty house, man. 
I cannot be around a dirty house. He was desolated. Matthew 27, 46, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, if there was ever a time in the history of the universe that God would have accommodated sin, it would have been in that moment. If there was ever a time in the history of the universe that God would allow imperfection to be around him, it would be in that moment. And all of you know what I mean because if you found out someone was abusing one of your children, you would not care about the law. You would not care how many years you go to jail. You would not care what anybody says. You would destroy the person that's abusing your child. Am I right? right? What if you found out the entire world was abusing your child and all you had to do was this and it would stop? If there was ever a time that God would live in a dirty house, it would be in that moment. If there was ever a time God would accommodate sin, if there was ever a time he would compromise his word, and say, you know what, I changed my mind. I said, I, I, I said I'm perfect. I'm, I'm going to allow it. This, once, I'm, this one time, you know, it's so funny. We always think God's going to compromise his word for us, right? We really think that our finances will be blessed by God without tithing. We really think that sometimes. We really think this relationship is going to work out if we keep having sex outside of marriage. We really think God's going to somehow compromise his word. He will never compromise his word. Never. Never. Not. And if, if he does it for you, it'll be the first time in the history of the universe he's ever done it. And I'm telling you, he won't do it for you. And so after, after the perfect house was desolated, what happened? Became destroyed. Matthew 27, 50. Jesus cried out again and gave up his spirit and he died because God cannot live in a dirty house. He will never live in a dirty house. He will never be around anything that is imperfect. God is a perfect God. So here's the bonus point, okay? Here's what I really need you to take home today. Number four is this, the permanent house. This is God's permanent house, and his permanent house is me and you. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Romans 8, 11, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and will give life. Remember, life is to be with God to your mortal bodies. John 14, 16, the Father will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever and ever and ever. God cannot live in a dirty house. So here's what I need to teach you today. I am not dirty. You are not dirty. Um, if, if my sin was not taken care of 2,000 years ago, God could not live in me. And God is perfect, and God can never lie, and he's immutable. So if God said the same spirit from Christ lives inside of me, then according to God, I've been remade perfect. In the sight of God, listen, in the sight of God, if you're saved, listen real close, you are perfect. Your evil deed cannot make you evil. Salvation is not getting man into heaven. Salvation is getting God into man. And where God is, there's perfection. Salvation is not trying to get you to heaven. Salvation is everything God has possibly done to try to get to you. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to be tempted to lie because you're in church, okay? So don't lie. In fact, because you're in church, you shouldn't lie, okay? That's, that's, let's just start off right like that. When I ask you this question, I need everybody to answer honestly. Everyone. Everyone answer honestly. Do not try to be kind and lie. I need you to be honest. I'm being serious. Is my wife, you ready to answer honestly, okay? Okay. Yeah, I already heard you moan. That's okay. Is my wife a perfect woman? I didn't finish the sentence. Is my wife a perfect woman for me? Okay. Jesus made you a perfect child for God. You're not perfect. You're just perfect for him. 
So let's wrestle with this. Let me show you in Scripture. Matthew 5, 48. But you, remember we talked about this earlier. You shall be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, I tricked you at the very beginning. Let me show you what the Scripture really means. Do you see where it says you shall be? It's going to happen. Here's what's going to come. Jesus said this before he did the work on the cross. He was saying this. Once I do the work, once I do the work, you will be made perfect. Once I do the perfect work, once I do everything that you should do, every, once I do everything that you cannot do, once I do it all, when I finish this work, you will, be, you shall be made perfect just as perfect as God, just as perfect. Now, the word perfect here, and a lot of times through the New Testament in Greek, is the same word as the word complete or finished. And really that should make sense as synonyms. When something's finished, it doesn't need anything else. When something's complete, it is done. It is, it is perfect. You with me on that? So let me show you some scriptures in that same Greek word before Jesus went to the cross. Luke 13, 22, Jesus said, Today and tomorrow on the third day, I shall be. I haven't completed the work yet, but I shall be perfected. John 17, 23, I, remember Jesus prayed this in the garden. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected and completed into one. Now let me show you where it actually happened. This is the exact same word is is perfect. John 19, 30, the last words on the cross, Jesus said, it's perfect. It's complete. It's finished. I've finally finished the work. I've finally done everything that needs to be done. They'll never have to pay for their sins ever again. All they have to do is be in relationship with me, and they will be perfect just as God is perfect. Here's scriptures after the cross. Colossians 2.10, in him you have been made perfect, complete, finished. Hebrews 5, 9, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. That's forever. Hebrews 12, 23, and to the spirits, that's who you really are. To the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. Your spirit is what you are. That's what's been made perfect. Your soul still needs some work. But your spirit has been made perfect. Hebrews 7, 28, the son who has been made perfect forever. Now here's my favorite one of all time. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Every priest, does it say every or some? Okay. Every priest stands. Does it say stands or sits? Stands, listen to me, ministering daily and offering repeatedly. Does it say repeatedly or once? Repeatedly. Okay, talk to me. The same sacrifices which can never take, what does it say, take away or cover? Take away sins. But Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice or many, One sacrifice for our sins for all time. He sat. Why did he sit down? Because it's finished. He sat down at the right hand of God for by one offering he has. Now here's the greatest scripture to explain the whole sermon. He has perfected forever and completely cleansed those dirty houses. Watch this. Who are being sanctified. What he's saying is I have perfected those who are still imperfect. I have made perfect those who are still growing. Once you catch this, you'll stop trying to um, give and serve out of trying to be perfect, and you'll start giving and serving and worshiping and loving out of gratitude, out of a relationship. That's, that's the difference. Salvation is a position. It's not a performance. Salvation, being righteous, being a child of God, it's a position. And it's based on the performance of Jesus, not the performance of you. Uh, My performance is not perfect. My position is perfect. So let me give you an analogy and I'll let you go, okay? There's a guy and, um, and, and he doesn't know the Lord as Savior. 
This guy, he believes that the Bible is a good book. This guy, he, um, he, he goes to church every now and then, but um, he, he thinks Jesus was just a wise teacher. And he knows Jesus died, and he knows Jesus. He, he believes Jesus rose again. He just doesn't believe it was for him. He doesn't believe he needs that to get to heaven, okay? He's a really good guy, though. He's just not a believer. He goes out of town on a business trip to New York, and in one day, he makes $800,000 off of a one-day business meeting. $800,000. He's so excited. He goes downstairs, and he tells his limo driver, you go on ahead. I'm going to walk back to the hotel. I'm just in such a good mood. And he starts walking, and on his way, uh, he sees some kids that are playing with a, a ball on the side of the road, and the ball goes out in the street. So he runs out there in the middle of traffic, scuffs up his $2,000 shoes. He picks up the ball. He brings it back. He says, kids, y'all, y'all need to be more careful. You know, don't, don't play so close to the street. He keeps on going a little bit further, and he sees a little old lady who's walking across. You know, the light for her is green, and she's moving really slow. So even though it's out of his way, he goes out there, and he carries her bags for her, and he helps her across the street, and she gets across in time. You know, she gives him a little kiss on the cheek, and he thanks her, and then, then he walks back, and he goes to the hotel. When he gets to the hotel, there's a homeless guy outside asking for money, and he pulls out $1,000, and he gives it to the homeless guy. Now, here's my question. Did that good performance that that unsaved man just did officially save him? Now he's in heaven, and now he's in a relationship with God. Is that how it works? There's another guy. This guy loves Jesus. In fact, this guy, he's a member of Solid Rock. Remember, we'll give him points for that, okay? And, um, and, and, and he believes Jesus died on the cross for his sins. He believes there's no way to get to heaven except by believing in Jesus. That's what he believes. And he goes out of town, the same town, business trip, and in one day he loses $800,000 in one day, in one meeting. He is so bummed. He goes outside, he tells the limo driver, just get out of here, man. I'm walking. I'm in such a bad mood. As he's walking down the road, he sees some kids playing with the ball on the side of the road, and the ball starts coming toward him, and he kicks it out of the street just because he's so mad. Then he sees this little old lady who's trying to cross the road, and she's moving too slow. And so he goes by, and he kind of shoves her and says, get out the way, you old hag. Okay, this guy doesn't go to Solid Rock. He goes to the Catholic Church down the street is where he goes. But anyway, <laughs> then he sees a homeless guy outside of the hotel asking for money, and he kicks the homeless guy in the shin and says, get a job, loser. Did the bad performance that the saved man just did those three things did those three things officially unsave him if he dies he's not going to heaven and he's gonna have to get resaved if he wants to go to heaven is that how it works well then why do y'all live like that why do you believe that then for yourself why do you believe that what you did take me back to that hebrew scripture that we just did why do you believe that what you did now jesus is gonna have to stand back up Go back to the cross and die again because of what you did. Listen, he did it once and for all. He sat down. It's finished. It's complete. You're still being sanctified, but you are not a dirty house. You're a clean house, and that's the only reason that God can live inside of you. Perfection. Here's what perfection actually is. Perfection is receiving the gift of spending eternity with a perfect God. Can you think of anything more perfect than that? That 
That is, that's perfection. Amen. So that concludes our series. We are done, and everybody in here better be saved, okay? <laughs>